Hello, hello, and welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at Rope Dope, I get to interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around their new release. I found that given the opportunity, in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week on the podcast, I had the chance to sit down with pianist and composer Aaron Parks. Raised in Seattle, Aaron moved to New York at the age of 16 to study at the Manhattan School of Music. Within two years, he was invited to join Terrence Blanchard's band and soon recorded his acclaimed Blue Note album, Invisible Cinema. Parks notes that his new album, released this year and titled Little Big, is the successor to Invisible Cinema, and also that it is truly a band album rather than a solo project. Aaron's playing throughout Little Big is sublime, yet the record is neither self-indulgent nor a showcase of his chops. Rather, it is exactly what he intended. Let's listen into Aaron in his own words. All right. I am here with Mr. Aaron Parks. Aaron, welcome. Thanks so much, man. It's great to be here. So I have all kinds of questions, uh, none prepared. Okay. I'm just I have it in my head. But let's start with cool. your bio says that you take pictures of doors. That's uh, a true statement. I uh, seem to have developed a bit of an obsessive tendency uh, when it comes to those apertures um started like back in italy four or five years ago i was in this tiny little town bagno reggio which was just this magical place with the most odd collection of doors that just didn't seem to fit at all into the the old town some of them were like really old some of them were super modern and i was just started wandering around taking little snapshots of them and before I knew it, I was kind of just wherever I was traveling. I um, started seeing the doors almost more than the city. It started to become a little bit of a problem. I was in Paris one time, and I was I was just looking at doors and not even seeing any of the the you know the beautiful sights of the city. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of I'm I I think it has something to do with that. I, I, I've sometimes thought about what it might represent. Um, something of the liminal, that passing between worlds. Um, mm-hmm. It's and it's the, yeah. You never wonder what you know who's behind them and 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 I mean the door. I I, I suppose I suppose sometimes I wonder, but not. I I also just like to. I just sort of enjoy them as their own thing, and just to leave it open to what what might be behind this door rather than what actually is. <laughs> I, I, I hope that one day we get together and I can take a look at, at some of these. Have you just have you just have you put them up anywhere? Oh yeah. There's a very there, there's a quite extensive numbered series on Instagram okay. right now. Um, yeah, I've got a ton of them and I'm one of these days I'm planning to publish a book, I guess of my of my door photos i just need to figure out whether or not i need to write any text to accompany them or not or just photos is enough um not really sure interesting yeah and and, and how you group them will be interesting 
Um, but, but exactly. Who are listening to this can can go right to Instagram and start there, and then come back to the music. Um, so that really st- stood out to me right right out of the gate. So that's why I led with that. Question. <laughs> but, um, that's cool. And there's so more because I, I just want to state that this is the first time that we've really spoken. So for me, this is a learning experience of you know what is Aaron Parks all about. So um, right on the 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 band name for your upcoming release on Ropeadope uh, is Aaron Parks Little Big, and that's would, it. Do you want to speak about you know you you have a, a debut and a sophomore record under Aaron Parks? Is that correct? I have a, there's a number of records, um, just under Aaron Parks. There's, um, my record from about a decade ago now, um, called Invisible Cinema that came out on Blue Note. And then there's, um, two records that came out on ECM, uh, one in 2013, which was a solo piano improvisations record and, um, produced by uh, a good friend of mine. Sun Chung, and then uh, then the next one was came out last year in 2017, I believe. Yeah, um, and that was Trio with Ben Street and Billy Hart, and that's called Find the Way. Worked with Manfred Eicher on that one. Nice. So what is behind the decision to state that this is Aaron Parks' Little Big as, as distinguished from Aaron Parks? Well, I guess the thing for me is that this really feels like a band more than, um, you know, it is, it is my songs and my compositions. Um, but it feels like a working unit that I really want to have its own identity and, um, hopefully for years to come, it just, there's something about these people and this instrumentation that, uh, really excites me and feels like it uh, has the potential already what it is makes me really happy and what it has the potential to grow into with, you know, miles on the road and um, just time spent together is uh, really exciting to me. And um, the reason why I don't just call it little big is because there is apparently a Russian rave band which has that name. And uh, yeah, they have some very tiny members and some very tall members. So it's kind of pretty literal. We don't have any, uh, we don't have anything like that. Just, uh, I mean, we, we, we could, you know, uh, eventually if, you know, if we keep on going until I'm really old and I start shrinking, I'm a small old man, then, then it might actually be appropriate. Um, in that way but uh we'll see i love it i'm glad that we're not uh, gonna have to 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 uh, have this confused with uh, a russian rave band at this point um yeah that's that's pretty much the the reason why i'm keeping my name in the mix just to avoid any uh hopefully avoid any further confusion and or uh lawsuits so <laughs> there you go so when i listen you know, we, we, we talk a lot. Um, Rope It Up is very fortunate because we, we end up with uh, a, a lot of records that, for, for whatever reason, maybe they were, uh, you know, told by a, a more of a, a purist label, I guess, that, you know, that we don't know what to do with that or that doesn't fit. But so, so we get some really interesting things in, in, in jazz, you know. 
that don't quite fit the mold. Uh, but when I, and, mm -hmm. and to take that a little further is that at certain times I'm listening to all this music and I'm like, I kind of noticed that a lot of it starts to sound a little bit like each other, just enough for it to feel like something cohesive that is, is a bit of a movement. But when I listen to yeah. the record, I, I'm immediately thinking of both Christian Scott uh, and of mm -hmm. Logan Richardson. Uh, sure. What do you think is happening in jazz? Or, or what, is, what is your intent around the particular sound that you have here? Is this conscious? Or is well, it let's see. I mean, I think that it is a movement to a certain degree. I think it's... It's um, what it really is. Is it's a whole generation of musicians who have grown up listening to everything. You know, we 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 love jazz or Black American music or creative music or whatever label you want to call it. Um, by um, yeah, and at the same time, we love all sorts of other music as well. And it for me, it doesn't feel so much like a for me, it doesn't feel like a self-conscious attempt at fusing two different things. For me, definitely, and it doesn't sound like that for what I'm hearing from from Christian and what I hear from uh, Terrace Martin, what I hear from Logan, Matt Stevens, uh, Nate Smith. You know, those are a few of the folks that have been putting out really great stuff on the Rope Dope imprint recently, um, and it it doesn't feel to me it just it feels like this is music to us and it and it incorporates all of the music that has influenced us and um without without drawing big distinctions between genres um so yeah i think i think that it's just it's an it's a natural product of who we are as people who we are as listeners and fans of different types of music we are is just how how we hear and think about music so it um yeah but it is it is interesting and i think that you're right that there is a certain familial kind of thing um and it's one of the reasons why i why i brought this record to you guys as well because of some of those records that you've been putting out the the matt stevens uh free verbal which i really love that record um the uh the new Logan Richardson um, blues people is just tremendous as well. Um, Nate Smith's band, Kinfolk. Yeah. You know, there, there's, you know, the, the list goes on and it just was like, oh, well, this feels like it could live in this kind of realm. People who are into these kinds of things might be like, well, what else does this label do? Ah, well, that kind of sounds like it could fit in there as well. Done. Fascinating. So, um, part part of that process, it's a, it's not a surprise to me. Uh, you know what Christian does in the sense of you know he's he's inspired uh, somewhat by trap and 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 hip hop, right? So he's pushing that direction. But you know mm -hmm. the role of the guitar on your record and almost you know on Logan's record, it's he's almost like the lead guitarist to me in a way. Um, sure. All of the guitar and hit on his record with uh, Igor. Can can you describe the influences that bring that into jazz? Because it seems it seems pretty prominent to me, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, for sure. I mean, 
it's a lot of, I mean, it's so many different things. Uh, I mean, I can speak as to what guitar is for me, you know, and what, um, you know, I'm, there's, there's just something about the guitar, um, and in speci specifically a certain, a certain tone of guitar that has like, it just creates a sense of environment creates, um, a there's a there's like a raw power to it and um all of the implications of you know what the guitar has done in in music for you know the the electric guitar has done in music for the last uh i don't know how many odd years you know decades and decades and um i mean so much of the music that i listen to is guitar driven and um, it feels pretty natural. Just it, yeah, it's just a voice that I I hear my melodies with guitar and piano combining to make like a voice. The way that the way that guitar and piano uh, they unify. Ideally, they can unify into a sound that sounds like a new instrument, which is combined, you know, comprised of the two of them together, much like you know, trumpet or tenor, uh, trumpet and tenor together had done in like, you know, classic quintets from back in the day. I've been fascinated with that sound for years. I mean, I was exploring that on Invisible Cinema with Mike Moreno. Um, I played in Kurt Rosenwinkel's band for a good seven years or so. Um, just, yeah, piano, guitar, really, they, there's something to many people, they find counterintuitive about it, them being two sort of chordal instruments. And uh, a lot of times when students are coming up, they're like, how do you negotiate the complexities of those two instruments together? And it can be tricky. It can be a bit of a train wreck with piano and guitar at the same time. But when it's done right, it just it creates this lushness and this, uh, this world that I really just deeply drawn to. Mm -hmm. So, so the, along those lines, then, the, what's the process when you compose, uh, arrange, and then and then go to record uh, with Greg? And am I pronouncing is is it just Tui? Or Greg Tui, you got it. Yep. Um, um, how does that work? Well, let's see. I mean, Greg, Greg is really special to me um, because from the beginning, when we first started meeting up and talking about working together, he he let me know that the way that he likes to work he he wants to memorize the songs as soon as possible and just have it really internalized um and so we've been working together we've been meeting on and off since probably around 2011 2012 um just slowly and some of this music some stuff that didn't get recorded um and um so it's been a long process, but one where we've really sort of gotten to know each other and have developed just a, a really good sense of communication. He's, and he, you know, he's taken the time to get to know these songs of mine and spend the time understanding how to phrase these melodies, what kind of touch, even like what fingerings and things are going to really make them speak in the best way. Because he, you know, he understands like first and foremost, these these compositions are songs. Even though there's no lyrics to them, 
yet, but they're songs. And uh, so he's trying to figure out how to make them sing the best. And um, that's really special and, and rare to find someone who wants to put that amount of, uh, you know, time and attention into that. You know, I think that it's more common in improvised music for people to be like, okay, cool, I got the head. Now let me find all the cool things I can do for the solo. Right. But with this band, we're really focused about, okay, what is this song? What's the heart of it? How can we animate it and really make it just feel alive and real as the song? Beautiful. And then the improvisation grows out of that naturally. So let's stay on this, on this path here. Um, you mentioned in your materials, um, uh, David Ginyard Jr., and you say a distinctively lyrical approach and an aptitude for seeing the bigger musical picture. So sure. that, do, you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I mean, because I, I sure, get from reading that, that it's like, okay, he's not just, you know, holding a groove. There's much more going on. Well, I mean, he's, he's one of the grooviest bass players that I've ever played with, for one thing. So he does have that going for him. Um, but he's um, simultaneously just very attuned to nuances. I mean, I played with him for the first time I think it was maybe 2015. I was subbing for Fabian Almazan in Terence Blanchard's e-collective that and and um, at the time David was also subbing for the first time that week, and we so we met and pretty much from the first note that we played, I was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> like he just. Um, he was hearing everything I was doing and um, and what everyone was doing and giving the music what it needed um, in a foundational way, but also with this other stuff that um, it's difficult to describe. I mean, one of the things that I, 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 I realized, because we hadn't played a ton of gigs, I mean, we'd actually only played one gig with the full lineup with, uh, with David on bass. He was the most recent addition to the band. Um, and when we recorded the record, I went back and listened to some of the takes. And, you know, of course, there's all sorts of things on each take that's totally different from one another. But I also noticed that there were certain parts that there were intricate, really interesting happening bass lines that he played on every take, that he had, like, created a part for the song that was totally integral to it. And I hadn't actually even noticed that, it, that he was doing that same thing until I listened back to it. And now it's, there's like things that I'm like, oh, I can't even really imagine the song without it. So he's got that kind of producer mindset, like, okay, well, this is what it needs here. And then once he finds it, he's like, well, there it is. I'm going to deliver it exactly what it needs right here. Um, while at the same time being incredibly flexible and very attuned to the moment as well. So I, I want to say about drums, mm -hmm. I, I have, you know, I'm not a musician. I have fan ears. Uh, I've listened to a lot of music in my life. And I have to say I'm guilty of overlooking the drums a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mike Clark came in here and blew my mind. <laughs> uh, mm. he, he made me understand uh, you know, just by playing that there 
the diversity of, of what what drums are. So if you if you can talk about Tommy Crane and and what he brings to the record, I don't want to overlook. Um, I guess is what I'm saying. You know. Oh man, I mean Tommy Crane. Uh, this is for me. This is some classic Tommy Crane on this record. He's um, he's a very special drummer, and he's um, really the heartbeat of the band. Um, and because he has this way of being able to understand what the basic skeleton of the groove is, of like you know what it is compositionally that the song needs, and and holding that down while at the same time there's this just explosive human rawness to the way that he plays and um which just takes the music from being something like oh okay it's it's this kind of groove and it's just like he he brings something to it which is simultaneously feels really good and comfortable but also is full of surprise and full of nuance um I've known Tommy for years and years. We we worked together. Uh, well, I, I met him when I was like 15 years old, something like that, 14 or 15. And um, we worked together in a trio that I had um, with him and Matt Brewer for a good two years or so of touring Europe from 2009 to, to 2011, something around there. He's and from um, as well? Um, no, he's actually from... Uh, uh, where is he? From? I think he's from St. Louis, and um, I hope I got that right. I'm pretty sure. I know he's from right around in the Midwest somewhere there. Um, and he, but we met at a summer jazz workshop at Manhattan School of Music. My very first trip to New York that yeah, I took I from back in Seattle, where I grew up. Yeah, I just noticed that it says that by age 16 you were at the Manhattan School of Music. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was um yeah i had a funny funny childhood i guess <laughs> how, do, how does that work how are you 16 and living in new york city so the way that that worked was um i grew up on a little island well kind of a big island called uh woodby island um which is just a little bit north of seattle uh and the school program there was not particularly challenging the public schools there and I was just a pretty hungry student and um, was looking for something that was just gonna challenge me a bit more and we heard about uh, a program that they had at the University of Washington my, my parents and I um, that was called the early entrance program so that was a program where you start college at around age 14 Wow. So I like sent in, I tested in to see if I could get into that and I missed it, didn't get in the first year, then did it again the next year and got in and did one year of the hardest school work I've ever done in my life, which was basically doing all of my high school work in the course of one year, in the program they called Transition School. That then started um, at University of Washington, like focusing on math and computer science and also music. Did that for two years there, and then it was around then that the music bug just really bit, and I was like, okay, this is what I really want to do. And um, I had met the great pianist Joanne Brackeen at a summer workshop out in Seattle, and she was really encouraging and uh, said that I should try to come to New York. Wow. And so 
on her advice, I we started actually seriously thinking about it and um, applied for to basically do a transfer to the Manhattan School of Music. Incredible. And so I, um, yeah, my my family was incredibly supportive, and you know, both my folks they we kind of uprooted the family from Seattle and moved out to New York when I was 16. Wow. So my sister as well. Wow. Okay. So that, that makes a little more yeah. sense. I'd love to hear success stories like that because I was enrolled in the Wharton School of Business at night when I was 14. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. the train into Philly by myself. <laughs> I don't think my parents even drove me yeah. there. And, uh, oh, boy wasn't what I wanted in my life. <laughs> it's, it's, I left no. here and went on to other things because it was just not, not the vibe. Sure. I, I love to hear um, yeah. that that worked. Uh, this program, this program was actually cool, especially the transition program because there was like a group of, you know, like 14 or so of other kids my age who were also doing that same thing. And so we at least had a community of other weirdos to hang out with um, and uh, yeah, that made it, that made it a little bit more so that I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm just hanging out with all these old people, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, so it was- Being it was, totally a terrified little 14 year old. <laughs> it's real, I was, I was that. <laughs> um, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like just, you know- I was that a lot of the time and then I would go back to the little place that they had for the folks our age and, hang out there and, you know, nerd out and play Magic the Gathering and chess and uh, nice. whatever it was. <laughs> so last question for you, um, just, just sure. up here. Um, the uh, record is due out on October 19th. I want to ask you if there's anything that you want to uh, say about, uh, about the record other than the music itself. Well, I guess it's just, I would say that this is this is a record that I've really been meaning to and needing to make for a long time. This is uh it just in many ways feels really like the closest to my heart. These are these are the songs that I've been working on for many years. It's a you know a direction that it that I sort of started to pursue 10 years ago with Invisible Cinema and then went off in some other directions and felt like I had some other holes in my musical development that I needed to, just some things that I, other things I wanted to explore, but I never was that far away from working on these types of songs and um, trying to figure out how to make this music, which feels so like, I don't know, um, genre fluid, I guess, um, make it, make it come to life in a, in the right way and it took a long time and I, but i feel like i'm like with this record we're we're really starting to get to this is the the trajectory that i'm hoping to be pursuing for a while beautiful beautiful so it is october 19th pre-orders are starting on september 21st the band is aaron parks little big the album is titled aaron parks little big and you can find it at ropeitope.com Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Time, and thanks for making beautiful. Thank you, Lewis. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, 
iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99. And you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadope.com. Our show is produced by Nick Perry. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. You can find more of that at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. And finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you.